Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Once again, I have to apologize for missing you all on Tuesday, but I'm here today and we got a lot to talk about. Kayla Harrison has signed with the UFC and I'm wondering, is she going to be able to make weight? Plus, Daniel Cormier has listed his criteria for UFC 300 main eventers and Corey Sandhagen has laid out his plans for 2024. All of that plus more coming up on today's show, guys. Let's begin here. Here's my question. Who do you think Drikas is going to fight next and when? And I didn't ask you who you want him to fight next. I'm asking you who do you think. Like as you stand back and you look at the landscape of the organization. Let me back you up to Duplessis. I apologize to Strickland versus Adesanya in Australia. Six to one underdog is Sean Strickland. And the only way that that six to one spread is going to have a ruffle is if Sean Strickland can take Adesanya down, rinse and repeat over and over for the better part of the evening. Can we all agree? So we all thought, we did not at all believe, right, that six to one becomes 10 to one if we were informed that they were gonna stand up and kickbox with each other all night. And maybe closer to 13 and 14 to 1 against Sean. Well, Sean wins. Sean gets his hand raised. And Dana White sees instantly rematch. This was something special. This night was something really special. 
the way the audience here in Australia and worldwide took to Sean Strickland in the Crocodile Dundee act versus their local hero. This was something special. What's going to happen when we have time to build it? What's going to happen when we have an ability to rematch it? The history of Adesanya says, I can figure it out. I can figure you out. Sometimes I need one. But I'll learn. I'll know what I didn't know. And you might beat me, but you won't do it twice. Okay, great. Like, every everything seems to be set. The one thing that came in as a surprise is Adesanya didn't want the rematch. Adesanya didn't even want to talk about the rematch. Adesanya didn't even want to talk. He went as far as to say, I'll be back in 2027. Which was tongue-in-cheek, but it was very clear. It was his very clear way of saying, I'm tired of discussing this. Give me a break. Then Izzy, on a personal note, got very enveloped in Francis Ngannou, Francis's pending match at that time with Tyson Fury. And Izzy just really did not want to fight, and he was serious about it. So the UFC, after spending a period of time and realizing, man, this guy's not kidding, they moved on with the division. And that's where you saw DDP get inserted. Now, DDP beating Strickland, I can tell you, I can personally, I can confirm for you, DDP has been offered Izzy at 300. Izzy has been offered DDP at 300. I can personally tell you that happened. I cannot tell you which side, if either side, or potentially both sides said no. I don't have that piece of the story. But I can also come and tell you when I speak to you guys, when I have ran polls, I can personally tell you when Brett Okamoto, represented ESPN, personally did a poll. And it brings up who would you, the audience, like to see next for Drikas, and it's between Izzy and it's between Strickland. Surprisingly, but unanimously, it's Strickland. So the UFC, I want to rework this again. The UFC, I can confirm for you, has offered Izzy to Drikas and Drikas to Izzy for 300, specifically that night. You got to understand, if both guys say yes, but we want to fight in May, the deal's off because there never was a deal for May. The deal in the offer comes for the specific night. The UFC worked very quickly, as they have to do. My guess is that they had their thumb off the pulse. I don't think anybody imagined, because I know that I didn't, that there would be so much controversy around Strickland Duplessis Part 1 that rematching those two would be more important to you the MMA universe, then getting this ultimate grudge, the ultimate feud of Izzy and Duplessis together. So I'm not asking what you want more. I know what you want more. I did a poll on it, for goodness sakes. I read Brett Akimoto's poll on it, for goodness sakes. I know that you want Strickland, and I'm asking what do you think is going to happen? Izzy's been pretty clear to tell us, I'm coming back. Forget everything I said about the year 2027. I am coming back. But he's also been very clear to tell us he's going to start training at the beginning of March. 
which is still another couple of days. And that's just not enough time for anybody to get into title fight shape. And if Izzy were kidding, just by example, he would have already started doing what Izzy does so well. He would have already started taking little twists and little shots at DDP. That fight's not done. It's close and it's been offered, but it's not done. And then if you're the UFC and you've already got those offers out, you're going to honor them. But you yourself are starting to wonder, how bad do I need that to come back with a yes? Because the audience is looking in a different direction. So I'm just asking you, when you think they're going to fight, does it possibly have nothing to do with 300? If we're not in a race for 300, we're having a totally different conversation. 300 is going to come and it's going to go, but 301 still needs a main event. 302 and 303, I mean, just for example. So I want to know, who do you think is next for Drickus Duplessis? You might have an answer aside from the obvious. You might have an answer that doesn't have anything to do with Izzy or Strickland. You might have an answer that has to do with the victor of Paulo Costa versus Robert Whitaker. I'm not against you, but I'm asking you, not for what you want, for what you predict. Understanding the organization. Understanding when promises are put out there, an answer has to come back before that promise or offer goes to somebody else. Who do you think they're going to go with? When do you think they're going to go with them? Drinkus Duplessis versus... And what do you suspect the date will be? Daniel Cormier was talking UFC 300 and he was giving his guess and he said the fight's got to have a backstory and it's got to have bad blood. He said this is why you can't have Blahal Mohammed and Leon Edwards. There's no backstory. They don't have heat with each other. Now, time out. What's he talking about? And see, it's it's always interesting, or at least to me. Now, 300's got me hooked, man. These guys, these guys have me hooked so much. If I send Dana a text trying to get to the bottom of this, I get an emoji back, which could lead me to five different conclusions. Like, I can't get anywhere with this. So when I hear Daniel talking about it, does he know something? Are you guys that way? When you hear Daniel talking about and speculating about 300, are you of the mind that perhaps the big bear knows? And he's trying to do a swerve. He's speaking with the same intent that Dana is sending back the emojis. Just by example. Because, see, th there is something to be said for Daniel's theme. I don't feel that 300 is going to be wholly different than 100 and 200. I think it's going to be along that same vein. I don't think we're bringing somebody back. I don't think we're doing a spoof fight. I think we're going to have something that's very meaningful that we want, that we need, that we just don't know that we want and we need. Now, Errol Hawani told me as recently as this morning that I'm overthinking it and I need to let it go, but I can't. They got me. They got me on this. And when Daniel talks, because see, when I, when I talk about 300, it's not going to be wholly different than 200 or 100. Okay, let's play that tape back in your mind. Do you guys remember what 100 was? Okay, that was Lesnar versus Mir. Big deal. Mir is the one that stopped the Lesnar train and did his damnedest to break Brock's leg. 
did his best to snap his leg in the center of that octagon. 200 was Cormier in DC. That thing was hot. There is no feud in MMA right now that is as hot as Lesnar Mir Part 2 or Cormier versus Jones Part 2. There's no feud. Except what we saw between Izzy and Duplessis. And the Izzy and Duplessis is so wildly fascinating. I maintain Duplessis did not fight Izzy because he backed down in an interview. That is that is somehow blasphemy that created a wedge between Red Pill and I, just for example. That created a wedge between Duplessis and I, just for example. I don't think it's blasphemy. I think it's on TV. It's exactly what I saw. He was going to fight Izzy. He then had an interview with Izzy. He then was not going to fight Izzy. And I don't say that to tease somebody for backing down. How fascinating is it that that same fight could happen on the biggest card of all time with those same two guys, but now they switched who's the champion. They've literally switched who's the challenger. That is an incredible moment of which could only be cashed in on if we told the story the way that it happened. Now, I, I, I really don't want to beat that drum. I'm just sharing for you that I think Daniel makes a, a pretty good point when he says it can't be Blahal and it can't be Leon. Now, that's a good match, and I believe that's the next match. I just believe that we demoted that match. I don't agree with Daniel that they don't have a backstory. It would be part two, and part one did not end with an L or a W. It ended in an NC, which is wildly uncommon. One of them poked the other one in the eye. One of them was pissed off about getting poked in the eye. One of them was on an eight-fight win streak, which got interrupted. It's a very interesting match, but they haven't done a very good job of telling that story. Now, the reason that we know it won't be that match is there was an opportunity given, and it got passed on. There was another opportunity to have it, and it got passed on a second time publicly. And that's the reason I used the word demote. I felt like that fight was pretty hot. I felt like Leon had a lot of eyes on him right after he got done with Colby Covington, not to mention the way, thanks to Colby, the world was watching. Thanks to Leon, he got a takedown. It really surprised people. When Joe Rogan was even talking about going, hey, what's he going to this wrestling for? Where did this wrestling come from? I'm just trying to take you back to December 16th. I'm trying to take you back to what was on that fight, what was riding on it, the way we all felt coming out of it, having Blahal Mohammed in the front row wearing the sunglasses, going backstage with Megan O'Leary and company, doing the media tour, and being told no. There's, there's no way to build that back up and say that's going to the top of the bill on the biggest card ever. Surprise! I was just kidding when I said I didn't want it. There's no way to do that. You can still do that fight. You can still do it down the road. You can't do it here. You'll look desperate. And that's where things start to get interesting. It's one of the reasons I'm so vested and enveloped in what is the main event of 300. We were told that it would catch us by surprise. That's the problem with Izzy versus DDP. There's nothing about that that's a surprise. As a matter of fact, it was promised to us in August of last year. There would be zero surprise. You would have the champion versus the number one contender. Nothing about that is surprising. That's what we do over here. 
So while it's an awesome fight, I don't think it can be the fight. And I know that it's offered, by the way, I 100% can confirm for you as Chael, who's anything but a journalist, but I will tell you, DDP has been offered Izzy for 300. Izzy has been offered DDP for 300. Neither was told it would be main event. And I don't know which one is holding that up. And, And I don't care. It isn't the point. The point is, if I come out tomorrow and tell you those guys are going to fight at three, there's nothing that's a surprise about that. You have the champion fighting the number one contender. There's nothing that's a surprise, which is why I'm still on the hook here. I mean, there there is one going around that that is so colossally insane that has to do with Conor McGregor is going to fight Chandler or it's Conor McGregor is going to fight Diaz. It just depends what dirt shit you decide to listen to. For the title at 165. And... If you go and look under the unified rules, if you go and look at the commission, which sets the weight classes, not the UFC, right? Like, you get the smart mark that comes in the room and goes, the UFC doesn't set the weight classes, the ABC does. They're right, but if you then go and do a further piece of research and look at the weight classes, the ABC does list 165 as a weight class. But if you did something like that, you would be signaling your desperation. As much as I want to see Max and Justin fight, Nobody anywhere ever said, I want to see Max and Justin fight. So you, you start you start to run into this fine line of putting on really good matches together and looking as though I'm in need of a really good match. It just, it starts, right? Which to me adds to the interest. <laughs> I give any part of that sound like I'm teasing or complaining. I'm not. It's what's got me hooked. It's what's got me hooked, but it also what allows me to remove Blahal and Leon. So what's it going to be? What's it going to be at 300? And if you asked Izzy and you asked EDP and you don't have yeses back from both sides, it's hard to count on it. You got somebody you can count on. You got a media tour. You got press conferences. You got a weigh-in. You got an actual fight. I cannot imagine in an era where we've had backup fighters that we would ever have the biggest fight of all time and not have a backup fighter. So now all of a sudden, Duplessis has not only got to agree to fight Izzy, he's got to fight, agree to fight Chemayev if Izzy pulls out. DDP in his first ever title offense goes to the top of the bill and has to agree to fight maybe the best grappler in the division and maybe the best striker in the division. I mean, do you see where this starts to get really interesting? And all of a sudden, if we're just throwing them out and we're just starting to spread them around, why can't Bo Nickel fight for the championship? Tell me why. This whole thing, the whole DDP story, the whole rise to fame, 100% traces itself back to Bo Nickel. And it's as though I'm the only one that remembers that. Versus Chandler, UFC 300, do you think this is the fight? Do you think this is the fight that we're waiting on? The big reveal. Now, no, is my answer no. Because I don't know that we would have a shock and or an awe moment. I think it would be par for the course. I think a lot of people would expect it to be Connor versus Chandler. My biggest pushback on Conor versus Chandler, being a main event at 300, 
is policy says title fights go last. Policy says even further, if there's two title fights on the same card, whoever is heavier goes last. So if you were to bring Connor in with no belt, you put him at top of the bill, which is exactly where he belongs, right? Red Panty Night is still a real thing. That is the biggest star in our industry. If you put him on a card, not in main event, you just demoted him. You just demoted him. And it's very hard to unfry that egg. And you could think that people will understand. And you could attempt to tell that story. And you could attempt to say, well, we've got a policy over here. You can even make his fight with Chandler Connor, Connor talking about with Chandler. You could even make it five rounds. I mean, th- th- these are all things that we have done before. But make no mistake, no matter how good you are at this game, you just demoted him. And his brand might be big enough and his brand might be strong enough. But is it big enough and strong enough to be demoted and handle a loss? I'm well aware that it's big enough and strong enough to be demoted and handle a victory. I can see where he would move forward. But moving forward would just mean that your next fight is a main event because this match has nothing to do with titles. Now, we've gotten so far out there into silly land that I have been called upon to answer and speak to the idea of Chael. Is this rumor or is this getting ready to happen? And the story goes like this. Dana White is going to announce that Leon is no longer champion because the UFC will no longer contest 170 pounds. They're going to begin from this day forward contesting 165 pounds and 175 pounds. Goodbye, Leon. Hello. Connor Chandler, 165, inaugural title fight at 300. And I got asked to have to weigh in on this. No, that is silly. That is ridiculous. And I'll make it really easy because we're living in silly and ridiculous, right? I'm ever been uh, as a part of this as well. I mean, we are getting pretty desperate over here, but the commission is who sets the weight classes. The ABC sets the weight classes, not Dana White. Now, that, of course, got trumped by you really good sleuths who went out and found that the ABC does have a 65-pound weight class, a 70, and a 75-pound weight class, that it was the UFC themselves that decided to push two of them to the side. Either way, without getting into the ins and outs, Leon's not being stripped. Connor and Chandler are not fighting for a belt. Okay? But... Why can't they fight? Would it help 300 to have Connor and Chandler? Even if we had to figure out the card and the positioning, would it help? Is Connor versus Chandler for no reason at all on the top of a bill on International Fight Weekend in July? Or I guess June 29th has been announced. Is that somehow so much bigger that we should wait? Or doesn't this Connor and Chandler fight just feel like let's just get it over with? The reason we're doing a fight that has nothing to do with rankings, nothing to do with contention, nothing to do with belts, the reason we're doing it is because we said we're going to do it and we just got to get it over with. So what difference would it make? And I'll tell you one that's sitting right in front of us. No one's ever discussed, but it's sitting right in front of us. I mean, I mean, one of the greats, one of the greats that never left the sport, one of the greats that never retired from the sport, one of the greats who recently has been hanging around more and more in corners of different athletes of the sport, more and more in time at the gym, and looks the part. 
and everybody wants to see him. And I would imagine with everything that he's going through, could use a dollar or two in his pocket. He would be the perfect opponent. And I do mean perfect opponent for Tom Aspinall. The perfect match for Tom Aspinall in a main event spot at UFC 300 is, of course, Cain Velasquez. Summer is coming up, and that might mean that you're going to have a little more time on your hands. Why not use it to learn a new language? Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program that truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, is here to help you. Some of you may be traveling abroad this summer, and you might want to experience that country beyond just the touristy type spots. Your experience could be upgraded just by learning the native language. Now you can download the Rosetta Stone app to your phone or tablet and learn on the go while driving, riding on the subway, running on a treadmill, or even laying poolside with just a 10-minute lesson per day. Rosetta Stone's lessons are designed for long-term retention of language skills rather than short-term memorization. The focus of the program is preparing you for real, authentic conversations, not just knowing a couple of translations. It's like having your own personal trainer for language learning. Rosetta Stone has been used by millions of people for over three decades. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started for a limited time. My listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com backslash today. That's 50% off. Unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. That's a steal. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal, limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. 
So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Kayla Harrison, Holly Holm. You know, Holly was on Ariel's program earlier today. And I felt as though it was as though Kayla was there, right? Like there wasn't a single question that Ariel asked. There wasn't any topic that came up with Holly that didn't directly tie into their recently announced bout against each other at UFC 300. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, here's the problem with Kayla. And Kayla Harrison's reality, her version of reality as it pertains to MMA is distorted in ways that I'm not certain I could even begin to understand. She just had a very unique experience. She had two Olympic judo medals. There was a belief by somebody, somewhere, that if you have a female who has an Olympic past that involves medals, that then transitions into the sport of mixed martial arts, that you now have Ronda Rousey, part two. Like, there was somebody somewhere that believed that. That's very different than if you saw what I had just stated and so you came to bring them along with the hope and the thought in mind that possibly they could draw and be like Rhonda. It was believed by somebody somewhere as fact that if you had a girl who had a past in judo, who had a medal from the Olympic Games, you had Rhonda part two. And the pay being to come in structured in the same scenario. Now, I don't suggest for you that anybody did anything wrong. There just isn't any story here. However many times Kayla has fought, she has never made a dollar for the promoter. And that's a, a tough concept. I know that bothers Kayla on a personal note when people say that. 
but it's not meant as an insult. It's just meant to, to attempt to splash some cold water and bring somebody a little bit closer to reality. So what are we doing here? Kayla versus Holly Holm. You have a judo Olympic champion. Holly Holm's got multiple. Well, she got them in boxing, kickboxing, and MMA. Is that right? Has she won world titles, Holly Holm, in all three disciplines? I believe so. So, you know, world champion versus world champion, right? I mean, this kind of takes you back to the very beginning, to 1993. How would this art do versus this art? And eventually along the way, you brought in world-class athletes. That, that is kind of the immersion of the natural Randy Couture. The first time somebody that was a world-class athlete and was going to take their fight inside the octagon from a professional standpoint of training partners, of breaking down footage, of having strategies, of having a game plan, of calories in, proteins in, hours slept per evening, take it like a professional. So here we are with, with Holly, and here we are with Kayla, to my understanding, is an undercard match. I could have that wrong, and they get moved to the main card. Based on the matches we've seen so far, it should be an undercard match. But it's going to be an expensive undercard match. And what do we do? How do we begin to tell a story? The one thing that's been missing. So... It starts with the weight class. Far and away, the most interesting thing about the announcement of Kayla Harrison, far and away, is that she was doing it at 135 pounds. I will tell you, I was with a group of people when we read this news. And everybody looked around. Right on. Going to the UFC was the bigger part, far bigger than Kayla herself. The bigger part is where she was going to go. But that's true for about anybody. Holly's a very meaningful opponent. One of the best girls to have ever done it. Quite possibly the best to have ever done it. But then when we found out it was 135, whoa. The table, the group of people I was with, whoa, our eyes got big. We pulled back. Now we've got a talking point. So generally speaking, when the weight class you're going to fight at is the most interesting thing about your fight, you have a problem. However... It can also be the most important thing, hindsight, looking back. Give you an example. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? There's no story without a good guy and a bad guy. But who do you feel it would be? Everybody that knows anything about our sport likes Holly Holm. There has never been a person ever to yell, boo, in the direction of Holly Holm. Now, we talk about Kayla. She won Olympic medals twice for the country. She represented the United States of America. She got no money for it. She got no fame. She represented the country. Everybody likes her. There has never been a person in MMA at the induction of Kayla Harrison to yell, boo, it's never happened. But if we don't have a bad guy here, we don't have a story, right? Right now, I'm wondering, is that going to be main card? Is that going to be prelim? If they're both good girl, I don't need to wonder where they're going to be. Of course, they're going to be prelim. But what happens if Kayla misses weight? What happens? It'll be the first time that Kayla, who defended our country successfully, represented us with pride twice, has done something wrong. 
and there will be nobody that understands. There will be nobody that pats her on the shoulder if she gets down to 137 pounds. Says, wow, you haven't been that light since you were in the sixth grade. Way to go. You sure wanted it. That's not how this works. If she gets down to anything other than the agreed upon weight, she is now the bad guy. Period. So now you finally do have a story that you could tell. Now you do have the good guy versus the bad guy. Now, just like that, overnight, you have something that is main card worthy. The card's not going to be able to move, but you now have something that will carry and follow those two athletes. Holly Holm, who's wearing the white hat, and Kayla, who's wearing the black hat. Right there, just like that in that moment. But not so fast, is Holly going to fight her? Is Holly going to go out there knowing the show must go on, knowing that this is 300, knowing this is a sought-after bout, knowing all the things that must have happened to get Kayla contractually, commas, zeros on a paycheck, all the stuff that must have gone into it, and is she going to be the one to say, not happening, not tonight? Well, that's a very personal question. And I watched Holly on Ariel. And I thought that Holly said no. I thought she said no. If she misses weight, I'm probably not going to fight her. And I, I realize the word probably is not very strong, but th- this is what I thought I heard. So then I rewound it because I wanted to get the quote perfect for you guys. And then I didn't hear it at all. I couldn't find the quote. I got that sense. And I would not blame Holly. There is massive risks on taking somebody on who has footage of you and you have no footage of them. That's where the great risk is. If they're able to watch what it is you do and study your tendencies and you are not able to watch what they do. We used to have boxers. Boxers would go 10 years. 10 years as champion. Eight years as champion. We now don't have anything near that. And you want to know what changed? Television. When we had the boxers, the heavyweight champion that would be the champion for an entire decade. You were watching that guy box on a transistor radio. You and your buddies would be crowded around a transistor radio. You couldn't have footage of it. The magazines weren't out there. The internet weren't out there capturing this film, sitting down, studying. Wasn't a thing. As soon as that became possible, as soon as scouting became available, you started to see a little bit more of a musical chairs. And we can all take guesses on is Kayla going to look good or is she going to look great? Or is she going to look not as good and not as great at 135 pounds? But it's just that. It's a guess. We don't have it. It's an experiment. We don't have it. We don't have that footage. We don't know what her speed is going to do. We don't know what her balance and her coordination and her timing are going to do. It's a big risk that Holly is taking. And Holly is loved. And Kayla is loved. And Holly is not willing to crack a few omelets to make an egg. And Kayla sure as hell is not willing. Neither one of them is willing to be a heel. But if Kayla misses weight, all of a sudden things have changed. And now it goes to Holly. Because see, if Holly refuses the fight after Kayla misses, Holly will now be the bad one. If Holly accepts the fight when Kayla misses, Holly will be cheered and revered. And Kayla will not. And it's a very different dynamic. But now all of a sudden, for a girl, 
whose reality is completely distorted in the world of MMA for the first time ever will find out it's important when you're fighting that there's a story behind it and that people want to see you fight. Joe Rogan came out. He said, I hate the fight. Talking about Max Engage, he said, I hate the fight. I was listening a little closer at that point. I wanted to hear why. Because for me, that's a very exciting fight. And anytime you get parody, you have some fun. Anytime you bring out the BMF belt, you have some fun. What's Rogan hate this fight for? And Rogan explained it. He said, Max has tried to come to 155 before. Now, he's alluding to the time that Max bumped up Tried to take on Khabib, it gets scratched. Ultimately does compete at the weight class one time with Dustin Poirier and did not win a round. And I will agree with Joe, that was very surprising. For Max Holloway to fight in the realm that he likes to fight in, which is stand-up, largely a Western boxing match with anybody and to lose every single round was a surprise. But it was also a bit of a coming out moment for Dustin Poirier. We didn't fully know just how great an elite Poirier was. So Max goes back down, takes the world over at 145, becomes what he remains the clearest number one contender, the clearest next best thing any division has that isn't the champion. So Rogan was talking about it, and he brought the size back into it. He said, look, Max hasn't gotten any bigger. These guys were too big to him, too big for him the first time. And moreover, if Max bumps up and gets beat up, dropping him down or make-believing that we're going to be able to just send him back home to 145 and still have all that nice, beautiful shine on him is not going to happen. Well, Joe makes a very fair point, doesn't he? That is hard to do. That would be very difficult to do. So what should we do? And as we look at 155 pounds, but as specifically as we look at UFC 300, and even more specifically as we look at the defense of the BMF belt, there is a part where we look desperate. And I'm a fan that can't seem to be happy. Like, I'm the fan where you're going to go first, you're going to make all the moves, you're going to do all the effort, you're going to spend all the money, and then I'm going to sit back and complain and tell you everything that you did was wrong. Now, at no point am I going to tell you if you would have done this, I would have been happy. I'm never going to offer you a suggestion because I don't want to be happy. I want to be able to complain, but not for nothing. It is kind of easy here. Max versus Justin is a fight that was sought after, that was suggested by, that was in the magazines, that was in the articles, that was spoken into the microphones, that had innuendo around it. Never. Never. Nobody ever said, I want to see Max and Justin fight. Ever. Justin Gaethje and a 45-pounder. Never a piece of dialogue. Justin Gagey and several 170-pounders, yes, have been linked together. And yes, have made for some very compelling potential matchups. So when Rogan comes out and he says he hates it, and he hates it because in Joe's mind, it's a foregone conclusion. The foregone conclusion is that 
Justin Gaethje is going to be Max. Max is then going to be returned to 145, although a little of the shine and a little luster is going to be gone. And he's not quite going to be the number one contender ready to take on Volkanovski or Volkanovski gets beat, which Volkanovski's never found himself in a position where he is more likely to get beat than this upcoming title contest against Taporia. All of a sudden, you start looking around and going, why did we do that fight? And I got to tell you, in all fairness, as of right now, I don't know. It seemed like we got a feature card where we had to start doing some really feature things. And if anyone anywhere of the world, if there was a thread on what the kids call the underground that was laughing and joking and filled with fun, good-hearted emojis, but it brought Max... Engage you together. I want to be making a statement right now. Nobody asked for that fight. Nobody wanted that fight. Now that that fight's here, it's cool. That's cool. That's a cool thing. The fact that we're going to have a lineage to the BMF belt, like there's some cool things here. But it puts an innate amount of pressure on what you're going to announce for the rest of the card. Because if we have one cool fight, fine, we'll call it a cool fight. But if we have another cool fight, all of a sudden they don't look like cool fights. They look like desperation fights. And it just makes me more curious, right? A day goes by, UFC 300 not complete, Chael Sonnen, just as curious, just as enveloped. But I thought for the fights that we had, we're relatively happy. If you try to put Kayla Harrison on a main card, you're going to have a big mistake. She does not belong there for one. She's not going to be able to beat the scale for two. Not guaranteed. That's a hard one. I mean, that's a test in and of itself. There was no pre-test cut done, at least not to buy what you think those standards mean. You don't want to be shuffling massive cards. We had to shuffle UFC 200 because John Jones had some picograms floating around his ass cheek. We don't want to run into that again. Want to get the really good fights in the really right order? And get him to the cage. Joe Rogan does not like Max versus Gaethje. But I tell you what, I think Joe Rogan will like Max versus Gaethje a lot more if Max comes out the winner. Corey Sandhagen went on. Real Helwani's program today. Now, in fact, I record the same time that Ariel records. And so this is happening right now. I'm getting updates. I'm getting updates and <laughs> so Sandagan Sandagan goes on Ariel's program, which not for nothing is an institution. Like, I am a sought-after, acquired voice within this space. I mean, right, you, you must log in. You go to YouTube, you got you click the little button. And if you're doing something, maybe you'll even come back. Maybe you'll catch, yeah, catch you later, Chael. But you don't do the same thing with Ariel, right? Your, your, your human behaviors are different. You listen to Ariel live. You listen to him in the moment. So, while Sandhagen is on this very popular program, known as the MMA Hour with Errol Hawani. He states what he's going to do moving forward. Corey Sandhagen says, I beat Cheeto 
less than a year ago. Me and Sean should be Sean and I, but let's not be the grammar police over here, is definitely one of the most exciting fights that you can certainly make in the UFC. All right, let me try that one. Let me let me try. <laughs> this thing is so grammatically messed up. Let me actually try this one as though I am him. I beat Cheeto less than 365 days ago. Mean O'Malley is definitely one of the most exciting fights you can certainly make in the UFC. I mean, there's some extra verbiage there, right? It's okay. I'm really not here to be the grammar police. I just, but I wanted to try that one out. All right, now let's move on. Let's get to the good stuff. In 2014, I'm going to try to acquire some famous guy leverage. Maybe I should start hanging out with some rappers. I'll get some tattoos on my face. Now, all of this is in reference to how are you going to get a tile shot? That's what all of this is in reference to. Because Corey's done everything else. He has broken in to the covenant industry. No question about it. He has proved himself at one of the trickiest damn weight classes. He is an awesome fighter. Corey has fought in feature bouts against the right guys, but at the wrong time. I mean, not for nothing, even if the Aljo fight didn't go his way, he still fought Aljo. That's a world champion. That's a pay-per-view marquee box office sold out arena draw. Maybe he had him at the wrong time, but he has learned how to get the right matches. Okay. He's been a main event. It was a really incredible fight, Corey's last one. Because if you were to juxtapose and look at the Aljo fight where Corey got taken down, then we found out just how good Aljo is on your back, but it was one of those spots where Corey himself had made a statement of, hey, I'm not all that good at wrestling. He actually said those words. So when he goes into his last fight and he starts scoring all those takedowns, you go, wow, man, this guy's getting even better. And Sandhagen is awesome. Like, I would never give Sandhagen a hard time if he wasn't flat awesome. And Ariel loves him. I mean, Errol has been singing the praises, I can just tell you privately, Errol has been singing the praises to me about Corey Sandhagen long before Sandhagen was a top draw, was a top three ranked guy, was a main eventer. He really was. He saw something special here. But there's an incredible irony in Corey Sandhagen laying out within his own mind what he needs to do to get a top billing opposite Sean O'Malley. There's an incredible irony because the night they were going to make him the number one contender and put him in the top spot for the championship, and all he had to do was say me. They said to him, who should be next for the championship? All he had to do was say, this guy, that's it. That's it. He didn't have to do anything else. And if he had been following the sport, if he had been following his own division, he would have known. He would have had the sense of God gave geese that they were getting ready to do the Montreal screw job on Aljo. They were getting ready to take to pull the carpet out from Aljo. Right? Everybody's got a big problem when Peter, when you rob Peter to pay Paul. Everybody's got a problem with that, except for Paul. Paul doesn't mind if you rob Peter to pay Paul. There's one person that's okay with that scenario. It's Paul. And Sandhagen with the handlebars was getting ready to be paid Paul. And he didn't follow his own division. And he passed it right on over to Aljo. 
and that little earpiece that the guy holding the microphone, everything gets put in rewind. That goes back to the truck, goes back to the producer, goes back to a text message, goes back to the press conference that gets dropped that night from the person that wrote the PR sheet. Aljo's next for the title. So it's just an irony. Like, could you imagine what he said? Could you imagine? Could you imagine Sanhagen? He is willing to rap. Like, rapping's not that easy to do. Rapping's not that easy to do. Like, you've got to have certain rhythms. It's not easy to break into the rap game. And or his masterful idea is to put a tattoo on his face. And the reason that's ironic is what incredibly hard things to do. Learning how to beatbox, er, learning how to beatbox and or tattooing your face in a juxtaposition up against standing in the octagon with Joe Rogan and saying, this guy, <laughs> that's all, that's all he had to do to get a world title shot. All he had to do was to follow the sport and his own division and know what we were setting up. And now he's at a point where he's going to rap and or put a tattoo on his face. Well, I, as the single largest and most influential voice in this space, I don't say that to be a jerk, by the way. You see those numbers right next to where you click. You see my numbers compared to anybody else's numbers. As the single biggest voice in this space and a man of his word, one thing a gangster does not do is lie. I will cover you, Corey Sandhagen. I will cover you inside out. I will cover you day after day. I will do my part. I will do a great job. If you do one of those two, you don't have to rap and tattoo your face. If you rap or you tattoo your face, you do either one of those things, I give you my word, I will cover you like no one's ever covered you before. You don't have to do both. Either rap for me or tattoo your face. I'm in and I'm not joking. John Anik has apologized. John Anik came out and he cleared the air up and he just said that I was in a heightened sense. And first off, I must tell you, I was rather surprised how much traction John's comment had made in the first place. And I'm as equally confident that John was surprised how much traction his comment made in the first place. I mean, he was just visiting on his podcast. He was talking with Kenny Florian. The topic had to do with some verbiage that John himself used in the live broadcast while discussing Duplessis and Michael Strickland, John Strickland. So, and he thought that the fans were toxic. He thought that the fans were, were so hard that he, John, had nowhere to go without being criticized. And I do implore you as the audience to know when you have a consummate professional like Anik, there is not a separation there is not a, I'm on this side of the apron and you're on that side of the apron. John Anik has always remained a man of the people. And he oftentimes does get confused that a critique of something he said or somebody, a fan having a great memory on something he said and then trying to juxtapose it or use irony or something to stick it in his face later, the fan and the viewer is just doing what the fan and the viewer does. Of course, they're going to make you stand on those words. And of course, they're going to cling to and remember those things. Anik is such a regular guy that sometimes he gets confused that that's John Anik 
the professional in the suit, calling the action the way that it is, and that it's not actual sour grapes amongst the people on the other side of the apron, that being you. I thought it was just a real-life moment, is what I thought it was. I have been so impressed at how John Anik can build a brand for himself, and that when I can see John Anik engaging, whether it's signing autographs or even just live tapings of shows where the audience is welcome, it's so clear that John is still just one of you. So he came out and he, I guess, apologized for it. I guess. There was no apology needed. He made no threat. He did nothing violent. He did not curse. He didn't raise his tone. Profanity was no part of it. I'm not sure that John ever owed an apology, but perhaps he did owe, at least within his own mind, an explanation. Hey, here's what happened, and here's why this happened, and that's where we begin to speak of the heightened senses. But I thought it was spot on myself. I thought in the moment, that fight is very tricky when you're attempting to explain to a viewer, whether it's a veteran watcher or somebody that's new, it's very tricky to explain what the judges are looking for, moreover, what the judges have been instructed to look for. It's hard. That's a hard explanation any way that you want to do it. I thought John's hands were clean. I think they're even cleaner now. I think he surprised himself. I buy the heightened sense. I can see where a real person reading comments from their audience is going to affect them. Most people don't have the courage to come out and speak about it. Most people are too rude to acknowledge what the everyday man has to say. But John did. And John did it very well. And though I don't feel that it was owed, if John wants to give an apology, I'll go first. I accept. All right, you guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And also to Samantha, who left me a review on Apple Podcasts saying, as long as Uncle Chael is doing podcasts, I'm going to be here listening to them. Well, thank you for that, Samantha. I really appreciate that comment, and I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. I just hope equally as much you're back here on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.